Welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. Welcome everyone. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, Bo, Dean, and Sean here again for another chat. Today we're going to talk about patellofemoral pain syndrome. Um, Bo, this is one of those topics that has a lot of contentious viewpoints, a lot of different ideas. It's one of those conditions that I think we've all probably got a bit of an understanding about, about how we'd like to treat it, how we like to assess it and approach it. And then someone invariably comes into the conversation and tells us that what we're doing is wrong and that that's outdated. And then there's new ideas. It's a tricky one, right? Yeah, it's so complex. Um, It's very individual from person to person. I think um, the research is really evolving and growing. Um, but there still is so much conflicting evidence around and, and we're sort of left in the middle thinking, well, what do we do? Yeah, hundred percent. And it's, do you, do you take the age old theory of, okay, it's a patella tracking problem. Our vastus lateralis is too tight. Our vastus medialis is too weak. Do those little isolation exercises, fire up your VMO, roll out your vastus lateralis, do some ITB soft tissue work and hey presto the problem goes away or is there more to it oh i think there's so much more to it and i think that's really an outdated understanding of you know isolating the the vmo i know that certainly uh an increase in uh quadriceps strength can reduce the the risk of patellofemoral pain um but yeah just focusing on sort of that terminal knee extension or the the late 15 degrees of knee extension to isolate uh, vmo it's uh, it's so much more complex than that um so i think you know we do need to address mechanical factors but also psychosocial factors that may be influencing it but also look at proximal factors distal factors intrinsic extrinsic it's a huge topic um and i sort of think about it as if it's the low back pain of, of the whole limb. It's, um, there's so many, so many factors that can be, can be associated with it. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and for that reason, there's probably not going to be, and for people who are watching this, waiting for the answer of, ah, we just got to do ABC and then we can get this outcome. No, this, if, the, if your person, if your patient comes in with an XYZ presentation, ABC is no good, you know, uh, it's a syndrome, right? This is not a, it's not a pathology. It's a syndrome. A syndrome by definition is a collection of clinical features pointing towards a particular presentation or pain presentation. So patellofemoral pain syndrome is really someone who has pain in or around the patellofemoral joint through various different causes. You know, we, we, we can't necessarily isolate that in the definition that has to come through the assessment. And then from the assessment, we can derive a treatment plan that is appropriate for that person not appropriate to the definition. So we have to sort of keep that at play, I think. Definitely. And it's it's a tricky one again, where it's often an insidious onset of symptoms, um, but it can be secondary to to other pathologies such as a a fall. Um, So a key key factor that you'll see in, in patients is that it's usually worse with going through peak knee flexion or climbing stairs even sitting for long periods can exacerbate symptoms um, so it can be a really frustrating uh, condition for the for the patient and also um, from the clinician's point of view to, to treat it yeah and i think that the different degrees of knee angle um, is something worth trying to understand at a deeper level i know that when the patellas move or when your, your knee is moving through those first 
um, you know, 15 to 30 degrees of knee flexion from a fully straight extended knee, that's your patella is not actually quite sitting snug in the trochlear at that point. It's a little bit floaty. It's a little bit loose in that joint because there's not enough compressive forces being applied across the patella. So in those first 15 to 30 degrees of knee flexion, the patella is more prone to tracking, more prone to a lateral deviation or, you know, inappropriate forces being applied across it. So it's at that time where if you do have, uh, whether it's structural or um, gravity-based uh, forces or um, functional type forces, muscle tension, fascial tension, that kind of thing, the patella can track. But then, of course, when you get to full knee flexion at the end of range, if someone's got a lesion in their joint, so um, some kind of osteoarthritic changes or something like that in the joint, then there's way more compression both through the tibiofemoral joint and the patellofemoral. So at the end of knee flexion, if someone's getting pain there, it may it's probably less likely to be a patellofemoral type problem and more likely to be some other kind of lesion. And they can often go hand in hand and you'll confuse one with the other. So understanding forces and how they're generated at different points in time through movement is really important with this as well. Yeah, so patellofemoral pain, as, as you mentioned, being sort of a, a group of conditions or an umbrella term, what are some other conditions that we might need to rule out um, around the knee before uh, sort of going down the path of patellofemoral pain? Yeah, well, if we're looking at anterior knee pain, there's so many things that can cause pain in that in around that region. And to make it even more confusing, patellofemoral pain syndrome doesn't have an exact location of pain every time. It can vary. Often people will say, oh, I feel it sort of on that medial uh, inferior side of the patella. Some people feel it more laterally. Some people feel it deep in the joint. Others will feel it in other places. So that makes it even harder to, to apply a, a, a precise um, diagnosis for. So if we go through a list of differentials, some things would have to include prepatellar bursitis or basically any um, bursitis in and around the knee. We'd have to look at um, patellar tendinopathy. You'd have to look at uh, fat pad syndrome or fat pad impingement, Hoffer's sign. Uh, we could look at, um, it, depending on the age of the person, it, there might be a traction apophysitis taking place in that patellar tendon, either in the tendon on the tibia or at the patella. Uh, we could even have referral pain from a trigger point in the quadriceps. We know that a lot of the, the, the uh, quadriceps muscles refer down to the patella. And then, of course, you've got structural changes, you know, things like um, osteoarthritic changes, degenerative type processes happening in and around the joint. Chondromalacia patelli, sort of an old term that we used to use to describe patellofemoral pain syndrome. It really specifically describes um, subchondral changes in the bone at the back of the patella. So if you have enough friction, enough compression, enough irritation, or even a loose body in there, you can get some damage to the, the posterior surface of the patella, which we would call chondromalacia patelli. And while that is potentially a contributor to this problem, it could also be a, a standalone presentation. So there's a, there's a stack of different things. There's sort of the, some of the, the um, pathological things that we need to consider, but there's probably a bunch of psychosocial things to consider as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, <clears throat> that's what's really interesting when you look at patellofemoral pain syndrome, give it, giving it that sort of diagnosis of almost non-specific knee pain. It's basically saying there's patella uh, pain around the patella. Um, so there's significant psychosocial influences that may um, contribute to, to the development of this um, condition, but also the uh, it not progressing. So if you've got a reduction or a patellofemoral pain, there may be an increase in kinesiophobia. So that fear of movement, 
Now that could change the amount of peak knee flexion. Uh, it could change their kinematics, their, their cadence, um, a range of factors that may limit their uh, ability to exercise and put load through that area. And as I said before, that that um, quadriceps strength is 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 key um, to reduce the incidence of patellofemoral pain. Um, so I think there's there's some really good studies looking at um, strengthening to the quadriceps and changes in patellofemoral pain. So we often look at or think about, you know, a, an increase in knee valgus as a, as a risk factor for patellofemoral pain. Um, so increasing hip strength and quadriceps strength um, can actually reduce patellofemoral pain, but it won't change their kinematics. Um, so it's not going to change their mechanics, but it can reduce their fear of movement because now they're putting more load through that area. So I think when we look at that, well, if we're not changing necessarily changing the mechanics, we're potentially changing their strength. We may also be changing their uh, inhibition, so that cortical inhibition. So they're not having uh, so much. Um, well, they're getting improved function around around that area. So that's where it's really interesting when we start to look at strengthening around the the hip um, and you know the quadriceps as changing their um, the psychosocial factors, changing their, their fear of movement, um, but also having that um, uh, pain inhibitory effect on that region. Yeah, 100%. And I think there's two things to consider there. You, you touched on cortical inhibition as a, so it's a brain-derived cause for weakness in, in muscle, right? So that's, we often see that with, with various different soft tissue pathologies, in particular chronic ones that the develop over time the brain has an opportunity to recognize okay the, the knee or the foot or wherever is going through a problem here so let's make the muscles around that area weaker and as a result it'll move less and be in le less chance of being injured further and less danger and so that's a, I guess a self-protective mechanism maybe we don't really know why that happens but it does um, but there's also then weakness that can be brought on by other reasons so you might have trauma to one of the muscles in the quadriceps or in the hamstrings like on the calf or whatever and that can lead to weakness there can be weakness from reciprocal inhibition as a you know an opposing muscle can cause weakness in in the muscle on the other side of the leg so we have all these potential causes for weakness which is why when someone comes in and says oh if this patient's got patellofemoral pain syndrome we need to strengthen their quads or we need to strengthen their vastus medialis as the old story goes then we have to ask the question okay well, but what's actually causing that weakness perhaps it could be that if we can just remove their pain their fear of movement and maybe some other contributing factors that the cortical inhibition may be then reduced and the barriers to strengthening improving the function of that that limb are uh, improved as well so it might be you have to, you know, you have to crack that egg before you can get to the chicken. You can't go straight to the chicken. Uh, but there's there's also going back to some of the old theories of, okay, we need to make sure that we're getting appropriate load being pulled through the patella. Some of that still holds true, I think. And if we look at forces being applied to the patella, you know, there's there's, there's lots of um, classic diagrams you can find on the internet of, you know, the different forces applied through the different vastus muscles, of the quadriceps, including rec firm, of course. So you've got your vastus lateralis giving particularly the lower fibers of vastus lateralis giving a fairly acute sort of oblique angle um, being pulling across that patella laterally and if you didn't have a vastus medialis it would track laterally so we have a vastus medialis for that reason and in fact the vastus medialis obliquus those lower fibers fibers are angled at an even 
more you know acute angle uh, medially to really counteract the, the pull of that much larger and stronger vastus lateralis. So those two fibers, those lower fibers of the vastus medialis and lateralis are key to stabilize and work together to produce healthy movement of the patella. Then you've got vastus intermedius, which sort of works in line with, rect with rectus femoris pulling superiorly. So we've got, we've, we've definitely got the potential for lateral and medial forces being applied across that joint from the muscles. Now you mentioned before that we need to strengthen the quadriceps, 100%. If we try to focus on just isolating one muscle, which we now know is very difficult, if not impossible to do, then you end up just doing, you, you end up creating inappropriate forces across a joint, which may lead to other pain presentations. Now I've got a theory and I've, and I've, I've seen this backed up in, in research and in my own clinical practice where if we use uh, electrotherapy in the very, very early stages as part of the activation of and rehabilitation of this problem, um, you can use electrotherapy or EMS in particular to stimulate activation of vastus medialis. Now it's been proven that you can't do any isometric isotonic exercises. They're gonna really isolate that muscle effectively. But when you've got poor motor firing of a muscle, you can use EMS to fire up more motor units in the early stages. So it's more about improving communication between the brain and the muscle via those motor pathways. Now to say that you could whack your EMS machine on there, you know, 20 minutes a day and, get, and build some hypertrophy and strength out of that, no, absolutely not, we're not gonna do that. But as far as just recruiting more motor units, activating more motor units, yep, I believe that, that to be true. And there is research to support that. But we've got to be clear, it's only in the very early stages. And then it needs to be about functional activation, recruitment of that, of that muscle group, the, the vastus quadriceps group, um, and getting them working as a team, which is essentially a functional focus rather than an isolation one. It's yeah. really important. That's a great point. You know, when we move from those early stages of um, that motor recruitment, but then we've got to get that functional strength back. And that could be, you know, around the quadriceps, but then we do need to integrate that kinetic chain. So this, we need to be looking at, at, at the hip and improving some strength there. But then that next phase is getting them back to function. Because if we just focus on um, knee extensor strength and hip abductor or um, general hip strength, then you get them to go back to walking upstairs. Well, the, the crossover is just not going to be there. We can't change someone's kinematics and, and technique and, and function by just focusing on the strength because there's not going to be a crossover with a change in that knee valgus unless we get them doing step-up tasks um, to, to load that specific movement. So I think that's a, an important thing to note that if we're just focusing on hip and knee strength, um, we need to make that next progression to their functional goal. What did they come in not being able to do? And that's where we need to direct those exercises to improve that. And that's where being a coach comes into it and just giving them those cues and subtle changes um, to not only improve their, their function, but to make them feel more confident with it. Um, as we touched on before about those psychosocial influences, the fear of movement um, and the catastrophization, their, um, you know, these can really influence the, their progression uh, and their return to full function.
Yeah, hundred percent. And and if you're a manual therapist listening to this and you're thinking, oh, it's all about the exercise, it's all about the fear avoidance and all that kind of thing, it's not true completely. There's more to it than that. And there's plenty of evidence to suggest that manual therapy is still useful for this. In fact, there's a, a great article I was looking at earlier, um, which will be in the ACE research library for anyone who wants to find it. Um, it's actually an Australian research done by a group of uh, Australian physios. And they found that the combination of manual therapy interventions with exercise was really the best approach for this. And so they used some very specific manual therapy, uh, very specific taping to the patella to, to help counteract the lateral movement of that patella in combination with certain exercises. Um, and expanding upon that, you can apply some soft tissue therapy and other various other techniques to, to change the state of some of those very, very tight structures dragging that patella laterally. We've got to just be careful not to rely 100% on that though. Like that's not going to solve the problem. This is a movement problem. There needs to be movement as part of the solution. Yeah. And I think if we, going back to the, the structural kind of understanding of why that would work, we interesting thing about the patella, it's held in place by, or it's, I should say, the, the movement is, is generated by muscles, the way that it tracks through the trochlea, but it's stabilized and held in place by this retinaculum, this connective tissue kind of strap that holds it in place. On the lateral side, the superficial layers of that retinaculum is very much intertwined with the ITB and the vastus lateralis. So we've already got a very thick, it's, it's two layers, it's twice as thick on the lateral side as it is the medial side. And then you've also got the addition of this very large vastus lateralis muscle and potentially very tight ITB, depending on that person. So when all of those factors come into play, there's no, there's no doubt that there's a soft tissue involvement in the potential for a lateral tracking. Go to the medial side, you've got a very thin medial retinaculum. You've got a couple of ligaments in there stabilizing that and then interconnected into one of those ligaments into the retinaculum is the vastus medialis. So it plays a part as well in medially stabilizing. And so you can see why just based on the, on the, um, the anatomy of the way that the knee is built, the tendency for it to want to track laterally is there. So soft tissue work, taping, other manual therapy interventions to manage some of those inappropriate forces if they're present, definitely useful, but that's going to be part of the problem, part of the, the solution, getting that process started. And then it's all those other things you were mentioning, managing the kinesiophobia, managing the inappropriate forces being applied through the joints and using movement as the solution. Yeah, and we can use manual therapy as a, a mechanism to reduce inhibitions to movement. That's right. right. So we can have that pain inhibitory effect with a passive manual therapy intervention. But a lot of what we do now is, you know, encourage mobilization of the joint. And yes, that may be directed at the joint, but think about the effects on the nervous system. So now we're changing that input to the brain. Then we're encouraging the patient to move, reduces the fear, reduces the noxious input. Um, so I think that plays a significant role uh, as we do with any of our active mobilization techniques where we start to get that patient up, moving, they're getting more comfortable with it. We, we take away the, the mobilization and get them to repeat it because the more that they repeat it, it's, uh, it's really looking to break that association between movement and, and pain. Um, and again, it's really about giving them confidence. Then we can start to load that up with, um, with more volume, more intensity, so we can get some, some really great results. Um, and, you know, we use manual therapy as, as an intervention to progress to that active treatment. 
100%, yeah. And that's a really good way to look at manual therapy, I think. And it's not to downplay the importance of it. People think, well, I go and get a massage every week. I see the chiro every week. I see the physio, osteo, whatever it is, and it keeps me well. Okay, as a management protocol, that's an expensive <laughs> approach, but it is it is definitely a useful tool when we're trying to kickstart a process, when we're trying to put a stop to pain, we're trying to change the state of tissue, when we're trying to get somebody moving towards a more balanced, healthy, happy, functional status. And so manual therapy is useful right throughout that whole timeline. We have to be specific about how we use it, depending on where we sit on that timeline. An interesting thing too about the knee is that there was one study that showed that the two things that would contribute uh, most immediately and directly to a reduction in strength of the vastus muscles in particular was one was pain, and that can be any pain in and around the knee. It doesn't matter the source. It doesn't have to be a patellofemoral source, but pain in the knee will immediately reduce the function of those muscles, and we're talking um, to a fairly noticeable degree, um, and swelling, which is one thing that's really overlooked a lot of the time. So we're talking about effusion, swelling inside the joint capsule, fluid inside the joint capsule. And so this is where some people put the, the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse, I think, is they've got the, someone presents with patellofemoral uh, pain and there's swelling present. And they'll think, okay, well, the swelling is a result of inflammation, inflammatory processes going on in the joint. Now we have swelling. That's a symptom of the problem. It could very well be that the swelling is as, as a result of osteoarthritic changes or something else, and that's produced fluid. Now that fluid can trigger very immediately a reduction in vastus muscle activation. The first muscle that will be re reduced in activation is vastus medialis, unfortunately. And so once you then get the reduction in tone of those muscles, now we can see an increase in tracking potentially, which creates more friction, which creates more inflammatory um, processes, which triggers more pain, which creates more fluid, which creates more weakness. We're going through this full cycle. So I think that a really good piece of advice would be anyone who presents with swelling in the knee, deal with that, deal with that right away. If you can do anything to reduce the swelling, then do it. If you can do anything to reduce the pain, and I'm talking anti-inflammatory medication, um, kinesiology taping, um, potentially you know anything at all that will reduce the pain in the short term, well then that's also gonna increase the likelihood of those muscles becoming more active, the vastus muscles becoming more active, and then being able, you being able to move your way out of the problem as opposed to having to you know, um, have it treated so much. You can actually just start to move and start to expand out of that issue, out of that, that challenge. Yeah, it's so interesting that I think we could talk for so long on this, the, the complexities of, of pain in general um, and the multitude of factors that we do need to to address and um, I think that's that's a key here is to um, look at the knee but also look outside the knee uh, what else is going on within the kinetic chain what else is going on um, with the person in general their their lifestyle their psychological factors social influences um, so address the person as a whole would be would be a key to start with yeah, 100%. Good advice. And that goes with every condition, right? You have to look at the whole person. Um, and that's it's, a, it's an easy throwaway statement to say that and go, right, cool, I'll just look at the whole person. How does that get us to the solution? Um, but it, we have to consider all of those different factors because we're dealing with human beings and human beings are innately complex. Yeah. And so any knee presentation that walks in the door is not just a knee. It's a person afraid of their knee pain who's worrying about how it will affect them in their job worrying about how it will affect them in their life with their family, 
thinking about their friend that had the same problem that ended up having to take all the time off work, how it affected them financially. There's all these factors we have to consider. Yeah, definitely. Really de-threatening um, the condition and and um, educating them that, look, there's, there's, the outcomes can be quite good. We just need to get give your tissue the capacity to be able to withstand the load that you want to place through it in everyday life. That's right, yeah. And one of the, the major causative factors for patellofemoral pain syndrome is someone taking up too much activity too fast, just like so many other presentations we see. Yeah. It's the person that goes, right, I've, I've been in lockdown for, for six weeks. I'm going to go back to playing basketball, competitive basketball, and bang, they're out there. And there are all these forces and loads going through their, their joints and through the soft tissues that they're not accustomed to. So it's about being sensible with your approach as, as the patient as well. Yeah, yeah I agree. That's good. Thanks, Bo. We might wrap it up. Sounds good. Cheers. Cool. Thanks, everyone.